Well, good morning. How is everyone? Good, good. I asked first service this question. How many of you like rain? Anybody at all? Oh, they all go to first service, huh? How many of you are like, hey, we need rain, so if it rains, it rains? Anybody? Okay, the lion's share of us. Well, I am thrilled as always for today. I'm, I'm really excited to jump into the word. But before we do, I want to share something with you. Uh, many of you know that today is a special day. What is today? Somebody tell me. Super Bowl Sunday. Is that a holiday yet? Not yet. Super Bowl Sunday. Okay. I won't even go any further than that since my team is no longer in the running. It's okay. We're going to have a good time anyway. But even more than just today, this month, we get to celebrate something amazing, something known as Black History Month. I want to give you a little bit of history about Black History Month. I think it would be uh, enlightening to you and help us to better understand the heart of God. But uh, Black History Month was actually founded by Carter G. Woodson. Uh, way back in 1926, but it didn't start as a month. It actually started as a week. He actually wanted this week to be a time where we could really focus on the historical contributions of uh, black people in America, and he wanted this to become a legitimate area of study. So he picked the second week of February to be the week where we would celebrate this Black History Week, in a sense, and uh, he picked it because both Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass were born in that week. So they had birthdays that they would celebrate that week, and they were huge contributors to the abolition of slavery. So he really thought that that would be a wonderful week to celebrate. So in fact, in 1960, this week began to gain such great acceptance, it actually became an entire month where people began to celebrate black history. And then in 1976, President Gerald R. Ford officially recognized Black History Month. So now not only in America, but people all over the world celebrate Black History Month. I want to read this quote to you from uh, the first black president, President Barack Obama. Listen to this. He says, Black History Month shouldn't be treated as though it is somehow separate from our collective American history or somehow just boiled down to a compilation of greatest hits from the March on Washington or from of our, for some of our sports heroes. Obama says this, it's about the lived shared experiences of all African-Americans, high and low, famous and obscure, and how those experiences have shaped and challenged and ultimately strengthened America. I absolutely love looking back on the history of Black History Month because I think it's a beautiful portion of American history. It celebrates and commemorates great works done by black Americans. But I can't help but think, when I think about this month of celebration, about what God told Abraham. We've been actually reading through this in this wonderful series we've gone through in, in All In. God told Abraham that he would bless him and that through Abraham, he would bless all the nations of the earth. It's interesting because if you keep reading scripture and you get to the New Testament, we get to a portion of scripture where the day of Pentecost happens. And the Holy Spirit is poured out on, on the folks that are there. And it's interesting that people from the surrounding nations of various nationalities and ethnicities and cultures are there and if you know the story, eventually Peter preaches this message and he tells them to repent and to be baptized and they can also receive what, what Peter and the, the 120 there received. And that day the church is born, 3,000 are added to the kingdom. And who are the people who are added to the kingdom? It's those surrounding nations, different cultures and ethnicities and nations. I think this is an amazing picture, a glimpse into the heart of God. But if we fast forward even further to the book of Revelation, chapter number seven, I wanna to read to you verse number nine because this is a great culmination here. And it says this, after this, this is John speaking, he says, after this, I looked 
And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Listen to this. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hand. I want you to see something today. From the very beginning, it was God's desire to bless Israel. Why? So that he could bless the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, notice there's no limitation on people group there, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Why do we celebrate black history? Well, we celebrate black history just like we celebrate the history of all amazing people of God because we're Christian people who have the heart of God and say we want to celebrate the same people that God celebrates and he celebrates everyone because we are his creation. And listen to this, it's in our diversity that we truly see true beauty. So today as we stand here as believers, we come to the Lord with an open heart and open posture. And we say, Lord, we wanna be like you. We wanna celebrate the people of God the way you celebrate the people of God, even if they look different than we do. Can I say that one more time? We wanna celebrate the people of God, even if they look different than we do. Can somebody say amen to that? How many of you would say, I, I want that kind of heart? Anybody, like, I want, a, I want a heart like God's heart for people. Can I pray over us right now that we'd be a church who would lead the way in that, that we would love people regardless of their color, regardless of their socioeconomic background, regardless of their culture, that we would simply love like God loves. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you so love the world. Even in this house today, we can see people from various places, and we are so grateful that we can call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, help us. We pray that you give us, by your spirit, a heart that is like your heart to love people in general, the world, Father. Help us to want to share the gospel, the good news, so that what we saw in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, people from every tribe and every tongue and every language would come together around your throne, you being the common denominator. We all worship you, and that makes the playing field equal. So today we receive that in Jesus' name. Can we all say amen? Amen, amen. God is so, so good. Anybody bring a Bible today? A couple of us? <laughs> Some of you, raise your hand if you like physical Bibles, if that's, if that's your thing. You're like, I need a physical Bible. No, raise your hand if you're a digital native. You're like, I, I want a digital Bible. Anybody at all? Got a few each? Well, the cool thing is we can do hybrid stuff right here. You can use your physical Bible or you can use your digital Bible. But I want you to do me a favor. I know you got comfortable. You're, you're, you're seated. And I know some of you are looking at me like, oh, no, he's going to do it. Can you all stand with me on your feet? We're going to read today out of the Word of God. Good. Some of you jumped up quick. Some of you are working your way up. It's okay. God is so good. We're going to read out of the book of Luke today. And uh, Pastor Zach did a phenomenal job last week of closing the series all in. I mean, we've been walking through the scripture, just talking about being all in for Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've been so blessed to be a part of Grace Covenant, where we have pastors and leaders who not only communicate the word of God with accuracy, but also with true passion. Communicate the word of God in a way that we can grab a hold of it and apply it in our lives. Aren't you glad for our pastors and leaders? Can you give, your, give it up for our pastors and leaders today? Thank you, guys. We're going to read out of the book of Luke, chapter number nine. And uh, first service, we messed this all up. So I'm going to try to make it easier for second service. I want to ask you to read the first two verses with me. So verse 23 and 24. And then you will listen as I read verse 25 to you. You guys think we can do better than first service? Let's give it a shot. Luke chapter nine, beginning at verse number 23. Let's read. 
Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save. And let me read to you. He goes on to say this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Man, before you're seated, look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm glad you came to church today. You may be seated. All right, I got a question. I want to jump right into this one today. How many of you, by a show of hands, have some sort of social media account? Anyone? Quite a few of us? Excellent, excellent. Raise your hand if you don't have a social media account at all. Anyone? Okay, a good amount. Raise your hand if you have never had a social media account. Oh, good, good. About six or seven of us on the bottom floor. What about up there? Anyone up there never have a social media account? Got a couple up there as well. Wow. You know, it's so funny. My wife is one who's never had a social media account. And uh, it's interesting how people say things like this, like, well, how will you know what's going on? How will, you, how will you keep up with the world if you don't have social media? And it's so interesting because there's more than one way to get news. I mean, social media is really quick, but it, you don't have to have a social media account in order to do this. But I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this sermon. I was thinking social media is something that it's not new. Although it's taken over, it's really like kind of swept the world. It's, it's not brand new. It's not something that, that just came about. In fact, I want to share something with you. It's actually that social media began towards the tail end of the 90s and the early 2000s. Social media began to take root with sites like this. Maybe some of you have heard of these. Uh, six Degrees, which is based on the six degrees of separation. This one well, was a popular one. MySpace. Anybody know what that is? Friendster, LinkedIn. And then eventually things like Facebook and Twitter. Instagram, uh, YouTube is even considered a, a social media now, Snapchat, TikTok, and I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There are so many ways to connect, and it's really when it comes down to it, all about likes and subscribes, or subscribers and followers. Like, subscribe, and follow. If you watch any significant YouTuber today, they'll say things like this, like, hey, go ahead and smash that like button, make sure you subscribe. I mean, this is just common language of our day. But if we're not careful, we will think that these things just began now. I'm here to tell you that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was already asking people to follow him. This was something he was doing from the very beginning. This is just the way he invited us into relationship with him. Follow me. Today I want to talk to you about something. This is, this is something that the Lord has been literally rolling around in my heart for some time. I believe God is calling his church to be people who are willing to say, I will deny everything else so that I can be a disciple of Jesus, so that I can follow him. So we just read out of Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25, but I want to give you a little context. Let me paint a picture around what Jesus was saying before he actually asked this question. Luke chapter 9, I'll start reading at verse 18. Listen to this. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago have come back to life. Jesus says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answers, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, hear this, the son of man must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders and the chief priest and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Can we pray together this morning? Father, I pray that as we dive into your word, that by the power of your spirit, you would guide us into all truth. You would give us clarity about our own lives. You would show us how and empower us to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice Jesus is, in this context, he's talking to his disciples and he asks, who do the people around say that I am? And they begin to list off various things that they have heard. And then Peter, or excuse me, Jesus goes inward and says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter chimes up really quick and he says, you are God's Messiah. And Jesus warns them, okay, don't tell anyone about this, but listen to what's going to happen. And he begins to list off what will happen to him in the future as he's walking this thing out on earth. He ultimately lets them know that he's going to be killed and on the third day rise again. That is right before he says, and if any of you desire to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. I don't know about you, but that invitation looks a little different when you consider what Jesus was talking about ahead of time. So I'll be honest with you here. I like invitations. In fact, when we get wedding invitations to our house, it's funny because when we first get them, I'm not like, oh, let me see, let me see. But my wife may look at this and say, oh, such and such invited us to their wedding. I'm like, wow, that's, that's cool. That's great. And she'll set it down and I'll slowly make my way over. Pick up this invitation. And to be honest with you, I like looking at the details. Like I like to know what kind of font the couple chose to represent them. I like to know the colors. These are their colors. They're going to be married and we're going to take pictures. They're going to last forever. These colors, like this is a big deal. There's something about that that I think is so cool. The way you position an invitation or the way you prepare an invitation means a lot. It really communicates a lot. Notice that Jesus paints this picture saying, listen, here's the truth. It's going to get pretty bad for me pretty soon. I am going to be killed. And if you want to be my disciple... that I need you to do three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Notice the font that Jesus used, the colors he chose. Oh man, they painted the picture very well. And now Jesus' disciples had opportunity to make a choice. Do I want to do what Jesus is asking of me? Whoever wants or desires to be my disciple, this is what you must do. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Point number one, Jesus invites us to selfless living. The first thing he says is, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Jesus is inviting us to selfless living. How many of you know that self-denial is the opposite of what the world is teaching us today? The world is teaching us that it's all about us, right? It's all about us. Get more. If you want that, go for it. If you think this, that's fine. No one can tell you anything. It's all about you. But notice how that's in contrast to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is clearly saying, well, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, you have to, step one, deny yourself. As I was preparing this message, I, I came upon a verse that really, a couple of verses actually, really stood out to me. I, I want to read these to you. I think this will bless you. But in Ecclesiastes chapter number two, it's interesting because King Solomon is the author here. He's writing this. He's, he's wrote some amazing things in the Proverbs we have collected from him. He wrote some amazing things in various spaces of scripture. But when you read about, or you read from Ecclesiastes, you see a man who has walked through some time on earth and he's walked through some experiences on earth. And he's kind of trying to reconcile all of these things. And notice that Jesus tells us to deny ourselves. I want to read to you what King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. 
verse number 10, he says this, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Pause there before I get into verse 11. King Solomon is what many would say is the richest and the wisest king of Israel. He's the man who sacrificed offerings to the Lord and the Lord appeared to him in a vision of the night and he, he says, what do you want? He said, Lord, that I can have wisdom to lead your people. And the Lord poured out wisdom and said, not only will I give you wisdom, but I'll also give you the riches and the influence and all these things that you didn't ask for. King Solomon is the one who somehow got off in his walk with the Lord and began to, to try other things, we can say. King Solomon is also the man that who had a thousand women in his life. All the husbands say, let's just stick to one, amen? <laughs> King Solomon is this man, one of the wisest men to grace the earth. And he's at a place in the writing of this where he says, I have denied myself nothing. I need you to imagine with me for a moment. Imagine if you were the richest person in the entire world. Now, for some of you, that's simple. You're like, oh, I've been thinking about this one. You're the richest person in the world. Bill Gates, Elon Musk, they're, they're, they're reaching out to you saying, can we sit, can I get counsel with you? I wanna know how did you do what you've done? But not only are you wealthy, you also are extremely wise. You have this brilliant mind where people, kings and queens and presidents are coming from various countries. They wanna pick your brain. This is King Solomon in a sense. Anything that this man wanted, he had the money and the influence to get. And some will say, if you read through Ecclesiastes, that he did. He tried various things, wanting to see, would this bring me the fulfillment that I need? He says, I have denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. Can you imagine being that wealthy and that powerful to where you can try whatever you want, whenever you want? But listen to what he says in verse number 11. He goes on to say, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaning, meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. How many of you, when you were smaller, when you were young, you played a game called Tag? Anyone? Some people call it Chase Master. Anybody call it Chase Master? Got a few? Chase Master, right? Tag, Chase Master. It's when you're it, whatever it is, you're it, and you run after the rest of the people. And if you can tag them, they're it. You chase them, and if you catch them, they're now it. You turn around and run. They have to chase you. Solomon says, I've, I've withheld nothing from myself. I've denied myself nothing. But what I've come to find out was it was pointless. It was chasing after the wind. Anybody ever play tag against the wind? How many of you know we left this service today and went outside and you saw somebody grabbing and jumping and running and, and you said, hey, what, what, what are you doing? I'm chasing after the wind. If you're anything like me, you'd be like, all right, bro, I'm gonna pray for you. Have a good day, right? And head onto the car as quickly as you could. Something's not right, right? Chasing after, wind, after the wind is pointless. It's meaningless. That's why he uses it. He said, I acquired all these things. I denied myself nothing, anything I wanted. I, I had it. And guess what I found? I found it was simply meaningless. Chasing after the wind. See, the world tries to sell us on this all the time. If you just had a little more, if you just had her, 
If you just had him, oh, if you had their house or that type of car, then you'd really be. If you just got one more promotion, then you would really feel. Solomon said, I've been there. I've done that. It's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. Notice the contrast here. Jesus is inviting us to selfless living. For him, step one of becoming his disciple is denying yourself. Number two, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus invites us to find our purpose. It's interesting that after Jesus says to deny ourselves, the very next thing he says is to take up your cross daily. Man. See, the cross during the, the era of the Roman Empire, this is not a vague or mysterious thing to the, to the people hearing him. They completely understood, just living under Roman reign, what the cross represented. It not only represented death, but it represented a slow and a gruesome death, a painful death, an embarrassing death where people will see you literally being punished. The Romans would use this to cause people to say, you know what, I'd rather not cross the Roman Empire. They'd publicly punish people in this way. In fact, Colleen Schreier, a PhD from Azusa Pacific University, says this. She says, crucifixion was invented by the Persians between 3 and 400 BC. It is quite possibly the most painful death ever invented by humankind. The English language derives the word excruciating from crucifixion, acknowledging it as a form of slow, painful suffering. Its punishment was reserved for slaves, for foreigners, revolutionaries, and the vilest of criminals. This is what Jesus suffered. But notice this, Jesus is now inviting his disciples. If you wanna be a follower of mine, step one, deny yourself. Step two, take up your cross. But Jesus wasn't literally saying, hey guys, get in line behind me. We're all gonna carry a cross up the hill. See, that, that was Jesus's purpose. He came to earth to live the perfect life, the life that we could not live, to die in our place and to be raised again so that we too can be raised to new life. That's all a part of his plan, his cross he carried. Physically he carried one, but the purpose of God for him was also, in a sense, the carrying of that cross. So we look at this and we recognize that when he's talking about the carrying of the cross, for us today, we may not pick up an actual wood beam or beams, we instead, Submit ourselves to God by denying ourselves and finding out, Lord, what do you have for me? What is your purpose for my life on this earth? I've said it before, but I'll say it again. As I'm traveling around and speaking at camps and talking to young adults and to, to kids at times and even to, to youth, one of the most popular questions I get is, how do I know what I'm here for? How do I know what my purpose is? Jesus is inviting us to a life of self-denial where we deny our own desires and we instead exchange our desires for his, saying, Lord, whatever your purpose is for me, that's what I want. Sounds easy, <laughs> but sometimes we find it's a little more difficult. Also, I want to point this out because I think it's important. If we had all watched the landscape of the, the world we realize that things are progressing negatively very, very fast. Very fast. Some would even say like in, in all of our lifetimes, we haven't even seen things progress this negatively. Like it's just, just it's on a downward spiral and it's spinning really fast. A lot of times when we talk about things like this, it's difficult because in all out honesty, we, we've kind of been protected living in America. 
couple of weeks ago when I spoke, I talked about a microwave and popcorn and how you can just take your popcorn, pop it in the microwave and press a button. If you have that type of microwave, you press that one button and it'd pop your popcorn beautifully. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to calculate how much weight is it. How would I have to, you just put it in. And now you have a bowl of popcorn. There's these conveniences that we've gotten used to. We have become very, very comfortable in the world. And somehow, some way, we've adopted, adopted some of this in the church. Where we begin to feel like, well, yeah, I mean, as long as everything's good, like, then I'm good. I love Jesus. As long as everything's good. But what happens when things are not good? Listen, I... I'm not sharing this with you because I feel like, man, I, I've made this. Like, I got this. I, it's in the bag for me. This is just real life talk. When you read the scripture and you realize Jesus invites them into carrying their cross, not only their purpose, his purpose for their lives, but what about the, the honest truth of what the cross brings? For Jesus to get to the cross, it wasn't just like, hey, whenever you're ready, just go ahead and grab those beams and we'll host you up. We'll, we'll help you. We'll give you a boost. Make sure you're comfortable up there. That, that's not how this worked. It was Jesus being mocked and spit on and laughed at and smacked and whipped with the cat of nine tails and, and, and embarrassed publicly. Then nailed to a cross, then hoisted up so that everyone could see. All the while he stayed on focus. The Bible tells us for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising, did it say the pain the shame. Jesus walked through all of this. Why? He was focused. He knew what his purpose was. He knew what God called him to. What happens to us, church, when things in America become a little uncomfortable? Are we willing to stand for Jesus? Are we willing to carry our cross even in the hard times? I want to encourage us today. It is difficult to look into a text like this and say, yeah, just sign me up, coach. Put me in. I'm ready. Most of us are not doing that. But the truth is there may come a day in our lifetime where well, we have to stand even in the midst of strong persecution. And I pray that we will be strong enough to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, that we would stand strong and say, we will not cave in, we will not quit. We love him even to the death. I heard somebody wise say this one time. The way you practice is the way you play. While things are comfortable, Let's practice now. So when things get shaken and things are hard, we'll know how to play. Amen? Amen. So we see that Jesus is inviting us to first deny ourselves, secondly, take up our cross. And then number three, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Jesus invites us to become his disciples. The phrase follow me can simply be translated, become my disciple. The word disciple is defined as a disciplined follower of. Jesus is saying, if you want to be a disciplined follower of mine, this is what you have to do. Let me become your teacher. Let me show you the way. Follow me, not just like the world says follow, not just every now and again I'll check in and see what you've posted, <laughs> but to truly dive deeply into what it is Jesus has said on how we live our life. Matter of fact, I'm going to read this to you from bigcommerce.com. It says, followers or follows are distinct from likes and shares, whereas likes Retweets and shares indicate that people find value in an individual post. A follow expresses interest in receiving constant updates. 
A follow indicates a higher level of engagement with an audience, giving it more value than other types of engagements. Notice, Jesus didn't say, if you like me, if you, want, if you, if you think I'm cool, you want to be a disciple, just like my tweets. He didn't say, reshare my post. He said, follow me. Follow. You see, it's interesting because even in this century, the, the word follow was simple, but this, this concept of a rabbi and students was, was a common one. In fact, most Jewish boys were looking for someone who would be their rabbi, someone who could teach them so they would follow their rabbi. It's been said, depending on who you read, that some students would follow their rabbi so closely that if the rabbi had a limp, the students would walk with the limp as well. How many of you know that's seriously following? This is all the context of where Jesus is talking to these folks who understand him clearly. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and come and be my disciple. And this is what he's inviting us into as well. In the book of Matthew, chapter number seven, verse number 13, Jesus says something I think is very interesting. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Sometimes the hard road is the right road. Amen. So I want to share this story with you out of the scripture. I think it's phenomenal. Story of Peter and some of the other uh, soon-to-be disciples. These guys are fishermen. Now, you guys know, I've told you many times, me and my son Joshua, we love to go fishing. So much fun. These guys do it for a business. This is how they make money. This is their livelihood. They fish all the time. But one of these days, they're out fishing, and they have a miraculous catch. And I, I want you to hear this. Jesus instructs them on something, and they catch a huge number of fish. Luke chapter number five, verse number six, it says, when they had done so, when they followed Jesus' instructions, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. I think that story is remarkable. Let me tell you why. First, Jesus gives them instruction on what to do, how to fish, right? They listen. They catch so many fish that their boat begins to sink. How many of you ever caught that type of catch? Anybody? I thought so. <laughs> they signal to their partners in the other boat, come, 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 we need you, we need you. They come, they fill their boats. Now both boats are starting to sink. Somehow they get these boats to the shore. Now let's pause here. Remember, this is their business. So every single fish equates to, we'll use our terminology, dollar signs, all right? So they catch this massive catch of fish. They bring it to the shore and they're like, oh my goodness, cha-ching, right? You would think. But if we read the very end, Peter's not so caught up on the fish. He's caught up on the one who gave him the instruction on how to catch the fish. He says, wait a minute, depart from me. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. Immediately he looks inward. 
I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, I'm going to teach you how to catch people. Now, you got to think of what Peter's thinking. I told you, I like to put myself in the midst of this, right? I'm here and I just caught this huge catch. When I see these fish, the first thing I'm thinking is, oh, I can't wait to tell Star. Like, we hit the jackpot. This is awesome. But wait a minute. I couldn't catch fish. Most time you hear about Peter, they don't really catch many fish. <laughs> this guy told me what to do and I did it. And now I caught the biggest catch most likely that I've ever caught in my life. Wait, wait a minute. Who is this guy? Depart from me. No, no, I'm a sinful God. Depart from me. Then Jesus looks at him and says, no, don't worry. From this point on, you don't have to be afraid. I'm going to teach you how to catch people. Now, Peter has a choice to make. He could say, that's awesome. Hey, let me go cash these guys in. And then I'm going to meet you. Where, where do you live? Where do you want me to meet you? But Peter is so impacted by what happens that it says that they forsook all and followed Jesus. Listen to what I'm saying. They left the money flopping on the shore to go become disciples of Jesus. Can you imagine? Have you ever seen a child catch their first fish? And they're, they're in that weird place where they're like, I want to touch it. I don't want to touch it. I want to touch it. I don't want to touch it. And you're like, it's okay. And you're holding it. And you're like, you want to hold it? Okay, okay. And they reach out and they grab it. And the fish starts flopping. Like, ah, oh, right. And they run off. And the fish is on the ground just flopping around. This was happening. This is in their boats. Fish are flopping out. They're like, oh, my goodness. You can imagine the people around just like, look at this catch of fish. Wow. And Peter and his friends are like, look at this man standing before us. I don't care about the money. I don't care about my business is finally booming. I don't care if people would say that I finally made it. What I care about is you have something that I absolutely need. So they left everything and followed Jesus. Listen, as we prepare to close, you may not be a fisherman. If you are, we need to talk after service. But you may have a different business. You, you, you may be pursuing something else with your career. You, you, may be, you may have something else that you'd put in the place of those fish. I completely understand. But are you willing to, like Peter, at the Lord's instruction, do what he says, first of all, with your business? Did you catch that? Peter could have been like, so sorry, sir. I've been running this business for a long time. Thank you for the advice. But we're, you're done speaking now. We're going to let you off our boat. But notice that Peter first even let Jesus speak into his business. And when Jesus spoke into his business, the return was the biggest return he ever caught. Man, that's really good. I don't, I don't know if somebody needed that or not. Can you imagine if we were business owners who let Jesus speak into our business? Then when the return came, Peter wasn't like, thank you, Jesus. That was so cool. Go ahead and go back home. And when I need you, I'll call you again. Peter said, if you can just do that by simple instruction, then me staying with these fish is a waste of my time. I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross. I'm going to follow you. Peter began following Jesus. You know what? Peter's the same guy who on the day of Pentecost stood up and preached with boldness, filled with the Spirit. 3,000 people came to know Jesus. Peter's the same guy that the first portion of the New Testament, a lot of it is focused around Peter's ministry. Peter's the same guy who history says would not even be crucified upright because he, he said, I can't, I can't even do that because Jesus was so awesome and I'm just, I'm just Peter. Just crucify me upside down. This is that Peter who said, I'll go through whatever it takes. I'll carry my cross. I'll walk through the hard times. Why? Because you have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? When you catch it like that, 
denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus becomes just a tad bit easier because you recognize that whatever you suffer today is well worth what you gain. Amen. I want to ask you to stand on your feet with me. We're going to read just three more verses to you. Three more verses that are really important to this. In Matthew chapter 20, there's a couple of verses here that I think are important because when I share something like this, it's easy for us if we're not careful to say, well, yeah, of course Jesus is calling me to give up everything that I have for him because we've seen people in the world or leaders in the world who, who kind of talk that language. Like, it's not about you, it's really about me. So you work hard and give all the hours and give all your skill set to, to further me as a leader. And how many of you know that's not the way of the kingdom? I want to read this to you. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is talking about leadership here. And he says in verse 25, he says, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers, the, we would say commanders or the chiefs, the leaders of the Gentiles, lord it over them, or they exercise dominion over them, or they subjugate them. And their great ones, their ones of position or rank or authority, they exercise authority over them. But Jesus says this in verse 26, not so with you. Listen to the heart of Jesus. Instead, whoever wants to be great, of great importance, powerful, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. See, the heart of the Father is not that you guys do everything for me so I can get better, I can, I can glean, I can get, can God get any better? He is God. His heart is for us. He's inviting us into something so much so, I think this last verse really encapsulates this. Last year, Star and I got away to spend some time with the Lord and he kept bringing this verse up. And I wanna read it to you out of the message translation because I really believe that it highlights the heart of what Jesus was trying to say here. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, it says this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Listen to what he says. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, hear this, and work, not for me, but with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. He goes on to say, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Sometimes we come to church, matter of fact, all the times we come to church, we're carrying whatever the week gave to us a lot of times. Sometimes we're carrying much more than that. Sometimes it's all that life gave us. We just drag it right on in. And you hear various things from the scripture and it's easy to start to equate that to, oh, I knew someone who was like this or I knew this person. I don't know. I don't know if I can trust that. Did you hear the heart of Jesus? Yes, he's inviting us into this discipleship relationship. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. But remember what we started with. If you lay down and let go of your life, you truly find it. If you hold tight to it, you lose it all. So who really wins in this equation? Well, he does in the fact that he loves us and he wants to be with us. 
but we do because the question that youth and adults alike all over America are asking, what is my purpose? What am I made for? Am I valuable? Is answered in our discipleship under Jesus. As we begin to submit to him and follow him, he begins to reveal to us who he made us to be. And we begin to be more like Jesus, step after step after step after step. Some say, well, what does that mean? Is that like big miracles and all? And it very well could be. But what if it's like this? What if it's patience, love, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control? What if the fruit of the Spirit became so apparent in our lives because we're walking with Jesus every day and we are dying, but he is living through us? Come to me is how he says it. Come to me. I love that he says, I'll teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. Sounds like a good father to me. Sounds like a God who absolutely loves us. I want to pray over us today. And I want to pray over you first, but then I want to ask you to pray as well. Because in this room, I know that even as we're sharing these things, there's some of you who are saying, I want to go deeper with Jesus. And if that's you, I'm going to just ask you to do something simple. When we begin to pray, I just want you to slip your hand in the air and say, that's me. Then I want you to pray. As I'm praying out loud, I want you to pray and ask God, Lord, help me to deny myself, to take up my cross and to follow you. Can we bow our heads together? Right now, if that's you, you say, I want to go closer to Jesus. I want to walk and be a disciple of his. Go to slip your hands up. Hands are popping up all over. Good, good, excellent. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for everyone who today is making a decision to say, I want to be your disciple. I want to be closer to you, denying myself, taking up my cross and following after you. Lord, I pray right now you empower us by your spirit and enable us to be witnesses unto you. It means literally to live for you. We can't do it on our own. We just cannot. So we come to you saying, here we are, Lord. Help us. Help us to be your disciples today. While your eyes are still closed, if anybody's in this room and you know, I've never even given my life to Jesus, but I need to give my life to Jesus right now. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Or You've done that before, but you've, you've gone astray. You've been just kind of living your own life, and you're ready right now to say, I want to surrender my life to him. If that's you, just while everyone's eyes are closed, slip your hand in the air if that's you. Praise God. Praise God. I want you all to repeat after me, every single person in this room. Let's pray this out loud together. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come to church freely to worship with the other believers, to hear your word, and to hear you speak to me. Today, I want to make you the Lord of my life. So I confess my sins. I turn away from them. I turn toward you. I declare out of my mouth that you are Lord, that you died in my place, that you raised from the dead, that you're alive today. From this day forward, I deny myself. I take up my cross and I choose to follow Jesus. Today, I am a new creation in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap our hands and thank God for his goodness today. Praise God. Praise God. Listen, as we head out of here today, some of you are heading out excited because you just gave your life to Jesus. 
Or you just rededicated your life to Jesus. I love that the Bible tells us that the angels in heaven even rejoice over such things. This is a beautiful day for you. I want to encourage you. We're going to have our prayer team up front. If you just gave your life to the Lord or rededicated your life to him, come. Come talk to someone on our prayer team. Let them pray for you. You may have questions. They are available to you. Also, as you know, our communion elements are right here and ready. If you'd like to enjoy communion today, please come forward. I want you to take what you learned today. And I want you to take it out to the world because God needs his people, us, to go live for Jesus. Amen. Have a wonderful week. 